to the Roma Press Podcast with John Solano. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Roma Press Podcast. I hope you're all doing very, very well. Happy 2020. We are back, back after the holidays. I hope you and those close to you had a very uh, safe, relaxing, and enjoyable Christmas and New Year. I want to thank you for your support in 2019, and we have a lot planned for 2020. So I just want to thank you all for listening, for reading, retweeting, favoriting, sharing our content. It really, really does mean a lot. So we are back in the swing of things, and uh, this time we are we're, we were off. Uh, it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't a dull time for Roma. If you were following the website, myself. Filippo uh, Biafora, Di Tempo. We had a lot uh, happening in regards to the potential sale of the club. So I will get to that uh, momentarily before I welcome on Bren from ChiesaDiTotti.com. Once again, uh, I think the last time we had Bren on was around uh, August, towards the end of the transfer market. So it'll be nice to catch up with him. Uh, Andy. Uh, like myself, has been traveling all throughout the last couple of weeks. So um, he is actually back tomorrow. I got back yesterday. So finally ready to uh, to get settled in and sort of get back in the swing of things here after the very, very busy holiday. But first, um, I want to welcome our newest patron over at Patreon, Neil. You can find Neil on Twitter at MotorCityLupo. That's M-O-T-O-R-C-I-T-Y, Lupo, obviously a nod to Detroit. Neil, thank you so, so much for your support. It really does mean a lot if you would like to join Neil, get extra episodes of the podcast, get early access to the podcast, and join our wonderful uh, patron-only WhatsApp group, which... Uh, has a lot of debate, uh, but also a lot of fun as well. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Roma Press. And again, a big, big thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, none of this would be possible. So um, as I mentioned a little bit ago, while we weren't recording any podcast, I, I sure hope that you were able to read some of the pieces that I came out with in regards to the sale of Roma. Um, it's been extremely, extremely chaotic. If you've been staying up to date on the website, first off, thank you for reading. Um, But secondly, I uh, so me and Filippo Biafora, Tempo, we we talk. I would say almost on almost on an hourly basis about this about this situation with Roma. Now, Filippo, Alessandro Austini, they were the ones to fantastically find out and break the news that Roma was indeed for sale and that. The Friedkin Group, who are Houston-based in the United States, were the ones most interested in acquiring the club. And since that time, Filippo and I, we've been, Filippo has done a great job. But from my end, I was able to get in contact with a member of Friedkin's legal counsel. Obviously, he, you know, all the quotes he was giving me. We're on the basis of anonymity. He can't have his name out there, which, you know, in, in a negotiation of, the you know uh, such a sensitive time in negotiation um that's to be expected but um where we are right now is Roma Palotta and Dan Friedkin the CEO of the Friedkin group have agreed upon a deal they have come to an agreement on a figure for the sale of the club and that is just over 550 
million euros. So that is less the debt and the capital increase. So this is a very big deal. Um, I actually spoke probably two to three hours ago before recording this with that person from Friedkin's legal team. Just uh, in regards to an update, he and I have been speaking almost daily, but I, I wanted an update because right now the figure is agreed upon. Roma, they put out um, that official statement from the club because between what myself, what I wrote and the quotes from Friedkin's lawyer, what Filippo wrote, he also wrote that the deal was agreed upon. We found out right at the same time and Roma put out a statement just a few hours later after we published that a deal was agreed upon. Roma, they stated that um, they were entering into negotiations with the Friedkin group. Now, I put out an article and a tweet about this, but that statement from Roma was only done to fulfill their requirements for the stock market. I could go on and on about this. It's very technical. It's very boring. But here's all you have to know. Roma is publicly traded on the Italian stock market. And in order to fulfill the compliance requirements for a publicly traded company, they had to put out that statement that they entered into negotiations with the Friedkin Group. Now, the deal is already agreed upon. They agreed upon the figure. Roma, the Friedkin Group, it's done. Um, the statement that they put out saying they are entering into negotiations with the Friedkin Group is just a technicality. Negotiations are done. They're wrapped up. We are now waiting for Friedkin to travel from his home in Long Beach, California, to Rome with his lawyers to finalize and close the deal. Now, as I just said a little bit ago, I talked to Friedkin's lawyer today. We expect that, or he expects that to be, within the next one to two weeks. Um... For me, the date has always been the 15th of January. That's what I have been told from him and Roma. But um, that may be delayed just slightly by about a week or two. Or I'm sorry, by just about a week. So we're probably looking the third or fourth week of January. Um, it, it's very fluid. Again, we're dealing with a situation that involves 12 different companies. Roma, it's not just Roma the club. There's 12 different entities that make up IS Roma. So this is not a, a simple sign here on the dotted line. Congratulations, you're now the owner of Roma. This is a very complicated, very sensitive, um, very time-consuming deal. But the hardest part of the deal is already done. They agreed upon a figure. So from now, we have to wait for the paperwork. To, you know, all, We're dealing with more lawyers than you or I could ever imagine. So we're waiting on them to draft up the documents, do the due diligence of the documents, exchange documents, and then close the deal. Um, and as I said, I expect that to happen within the next one to two weeks. So um, let me know your thoughts. Um, from what I know about Friedkin and what I have been told um, by their lawyer, who even he does not know the long-term vision or strategy from the Friedkin group, um, Obviously, he has just been giving me insight into this negotiation and this operation, but they view this as a long-term play. This isn't just a, hey, we're coming here, you know, make our money, get the stadium, make our money, and then bow out. They're, they're viewing this as a long-term project, and I know we all hate that word project. I hate that word, but this isn't, uh, I, I think, and this is just my opinion, and this is just a guess, and I could be completely wrong and look like an imbecile in another 365 days. Um, but I do expect that Friedkin will stick around at Roma for some time. 
Um, so let's see how everything progresses over the next week or two. As always, you can follow me on the website, uh, romapress.net, where I've been posting all of the updates, all of the exclusive quotes, and all the other stuff from Freakin's Lawyer. Uh, feel free to look back at it. It 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 does uh, it gives you a, a unique little insight into how things have been progressing because they've been in talks for two months. Um, and I can tell you that from both Roma and Friedkin's perspective, they wanted to have a final number agreed upon before the start of 2020, and they managed to do so. So let's see how everything progresses. As I said, I do expect it to close within the next one to two weeks. Um, and I do expect by February, maybe middle of February, that Dan Friedkin will be the uh, new president and owner of uh, Roma, which... Who knows what that means? Uh, in that regard, you know as much as I do. There is so much mystery surrounding what Freakin brings to this. So um, let's just wait and see. That's all we can do. So with that in mind, let me bring on Bren from com. Bren has not been on the podcast for a number of months, so it'll be nice to catch up with him. So let me bring Bren on now. He and I discussed the opening portion of the season Fonseca, who his surprise players were, the market, Palotta, Freakin, all that good stuff. So without further ado, here is Bren from ChiesaDiTotti.com. All right, well, Bren is back with me. Uh, it's been a few months since he was on, so I'm very happy that he was able to join. And uh, we're going to get caught up now on the latest with Roma. You can find Bren on Twitter at BrenCDT. You can also find a lot of his writing at ChiesaDiTotti.com. Dot com. So, Brent, thank you so much for coming on again. It's been a few months. So uh, since we haven't touched base in some time, uh, let's just start off with the obvious. Uh, to date, what do you think of Roma's season? I, I assume you would have to be pretty happy, yeah? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's it's shaping up about how I expect it to be. I thought at the beginning of the year it would be sort of a three- or four-way fight for those last two Champions League places. Um, but I have to say, I've been incredibly impressed with how he was able, how Fonseca was able to handle the uh, injury crisis at the beginning of the year, and sort of how he's been able to get the best out of so many of uh, Roma's new players. So um, I'm definitely more confident than I was back in August, and certainly more confident than I was at the end of last season. Um, so I think things are looking up. They just have to uh, get over that last sort of hurdle and secure a third or fourth, and I'll feel a lot better. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think there's a lot of positive things that we could point to. I think there's a lot of things that we could that we would all agree on that we were surprised by. I think Fonseca adapting so quickly to the city has probably been one of the most surprising things of all. Um, but starting starting with the manager, then from from Fonseca's standpoint, I mean, I would assume that you give him a top mark, right? I, I mean, I don't think anybody could have expected to have gone as well as it did in those first four months, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't pretend I knew a ton about him when they came in. Uh, obviously, as uh, Shakhtar says, did really well in Europe. Um, you mean you weren't watching the Ukrainian Super League on a weekly basis? <laughs> no, I, I, I really just uh, I have my Serie A blinders on. I don't even really know what's going on in England or Germany. I just sort of I mean, you could probably relate, given what we have to do with our respective sites, it makes it kind of, kind of hard to keep abreast of everything. Right. Um, but, I mean, obviously, we were familiar with them because we played them a couple years ago in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, I mean, on the surface, I, I just thought it was going to be, like, not quite like Zemin, but I just thought it was going to be a lot of attacking. We're going to be exposed at the other end. But there was that period there where they weren't scoring a lot, but they were 
keeping people to one goal, zero goals. So I've been really impressed with how adaptable he's been. I mean, part of that can be just sort of my ignorance towards him um, back in August, but I, I think he's got the makings of like a top, top guy. So I'm pretty stoked that we got him. I hope we can hang on to him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I, you know, unless you actually did watch the Ukrainian Super League, and I'm not trying to, that that was a little jab there at the beginning. I, if yeah, you watch I, it, yes, um, more power to you. I I don't think Brenner or myself really have the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody could have possibly have imagined it would have gone this well. From a player perspective, though, who has been the biggest surprise for you? And in your opinion, who has been the most important player today? Because I... I think you could point to a few. Zaniolo doing well on the right wing, I think, is something that has stood out to me. Smalling, obviously. Gianluca Mancini. So who is it for you that has really stood out among the rest? Um, I guess the, the biggest surprise would, would be Smalling. I remember when that came down, that was I can't remember what order it was, but it was just him, Mkhitaryan, and Zappa Costa. I'm like, man, they're really raiding the dregs of the Premier League. <laughs> um, and I remember with our, our the best part about our site is like a whole network. So I reached out to our Manchester United um, guys, the Busby babe, their site. And the guy, they were just sort of like, like tongue in cheek laughing at us saying like, yeah, he's fasting and do these things, but he makes a lot of mistakes. And sort of just to see the way he's become one of the, you know, the best central defenders in the league this year. I don't know how you cannot be surprised. It's been amazing. Um, in terms of most important, um, I'll probably go with Veritut. I think just mm. because he's sort of a glue guy, he makes everything go. And I, you know, every after every match, I, I sort of go to the official league page to see sort of how many kilometers he's done. He's always amongst the top. Um, I mean, it's hard to really describe what he does, but what he does is just he, he enables everyone else to do their jobs better. So I think in that regard, despite the fact that he's not scoring as many goals, not doing as many highlight-worthy things, they couldn't do what they're doing without him. So for me, he's been the most important. You and I talked a lot about Palalto, what he's done, what we agree with what he's done, what we disagree with what he's done. Mm-hmm. This last seven to 10 days, I can attest, has been insane between him, Friedkin. Uh, a deal was agreed upon. Now Friedkin won't come. Uh, he's not going to come to Italy for probably, I was told today, at least another week or two to, to finalize oh, everything. Right, right. Okay, but they have a figure agreed upon. It's right around five hundred fifty million euros. So, given that, given that, it looks like James Palotta is finally. Well, I, I say finally because I know there are a lot of people who did not like him. So I say that more so in regards to them. It looks like he sure. is exiting stage left. So, how do you feel about that? Because for me, I mean, the thing that I take out of all of it is, wow, Roma's been sold twice within a decade. That's crazy mm-hmm. when you consider yep. the the. The previous history i mean it was with the same family for a number of years um but what are your initial feelings on this because it, it, it's not like it's going from palotas to you know the manchester city type psg type right. you know i mean this is going to another american who had who is wealthier than palotta he has a higher personal wealth his corporations mm-hmm. have done better than anything palotta has done um and i and i don't mean that is an insult to him but he looks like on the face of it, he will have more resources at least. Do you think this was the right time? And what are just your initial feelings about all of this? Because it's really hard. And and even from me, I I mean, I've been, I've gotten in with one person at Friedkin. They are notoriously quiet. There's even mystery. I mean, I've been taught the the person I've been talking to is in their legal department. Um, Really? He doesn't even know a whole lot. I, I mean, he, he really can't give me, 
anything beyond the negotiations. He doesn't know from a vision standpoint what they have in mind. So there is a, right. a lot of unknown in regards to this. So I would assume that you're 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 excited about maybe the prospect of Palata leaving, but there's still some uncertainty that maybe you're worried about. That's how I feel, at least. Yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. Actually, last night I, I started a piece trying to sort of um, weigh and measure the highs and lows of the past eight years. Uh, and I think in some ways I'm uniquely qualified or disqualified to do that because I our site pretty much started in lockstep with when he took over. And so one of the first pieces I wrote was about the first U.S. tour and how excited I was. And then, like, they had that strange deal with Disney. Uh, I remember that picture of them and with Mickey Mouse. And they had, um, like, Fantastic an ESPN. material, by the way. That's Yeah, all these sort of things at the beginning I was so super excited about. And I remember when I first came to the team, like, in the early 2000s or whatever, going to that old site. And it just was horrible. And there was no way to access the teams. You couldn't find jerseys or shirts anywhere. Um, and so I think those are the, the things they did really well. And I, you know, you look at the website now and you look at their social media and uh, just all the kits are available, like all these other sites. So I think just the accessibility to people in America, they've just done a bang up job on that. That's been amazing. Um, so I was really on board with it. I think uh, most of my criticism stemmed from that, like the 2016 to 2018 period, sort of the dismantling of that team, whether he was forced to do it or not. Um, and I think he sort of dug his own grave or made it things worse when he made those just proclamations about we're not going to sell this guy, we're mm. not going to sell that guy. And I think that was sort of um, exacerbated by the fact that he wasn't there that much. So it's sort of like, how in touch with things are you? I mean, I wouldn't expect this guy was all these things to do to know every single the day to day of what's going on in the club. But you would, just, would think you'd have his pulse on something. So I always thought, you know, to say things so boldly like that when you don't know whether or not you can hold off selling these people. To me, you seem sort of brash or foolhardy. Um, but I guess I, in the past year or so, I've sort of um, taken a step back from that in a way. I just, because the things I said before, I think he's really modernized the club. If you look at it, you know, from 2010 to where it is now, just the accessibility. And it seems like, uh, it just seems like they're, they're more, they have a more business-like approach and they've done all these things to make it more accessible, to make the club more visible. And I think uh, maybe that was his main purpose. And if that was the case, then he did it really well. I think, like you said, is anytime there's a takeover, you just seem to think that, oh, we're going to be like City, we're going to be like PSG. Um, but that wasn't the case, and it's not the case now. So I really, I'm not expecting a ton to change from this in the short run. I mean, I know this guy's worth like $4 billion, but it's not like he's going to pour his own money into this. So I think in the early goings, I'm expecting this just to be a lateral move at best. I guess it depends on how much of this debt they get rid of and if the stadium goes off. Um so, I mean, I haven't finished this piece I was talking about. I'm still sort of trying to reconcile it. But I, I think it's Pilata's regime wasn't as bad as we, made, as we made it out to be in the bad times, but it wasn't as good as he sort of thought it would be. I know his ambition, or at least what he said was, you know, Rome, I don't know if we can swear in your podcast, but he goes, it's fucking Rome. No. That's why he bought <laughs> yeah, the team. Yeah, <laughs> that was, I mentioned this in my spaces too. That's why when I discovered the team, I'm like, oh, it's like the biggest city in Italy. They're probably the most powerful club. Um so I, I kind of think ultimately he didn't know quite what he was getting into or he didn't know yeah. <laughs> how many hurdles he had to jump to get through it. But I do think he was well-intentioned. Um, so I, it'll, it'll take a while to unpack everything to sort of really evaluate what happened. Um, and then this new guy, I mean, I have no idea what to expect. At least Pallada had experience with the Celtics and he was Italian. So I, I think there was that sort of uh, romantic appeal to it, but. Uh, it seems awfully strange to me that someone from Texas who made their money at selling cars is getting into Italian football. I'm not sure what to expect. It <laughs> you, just seems very, very strange to me. 
Yeah, and and I think rightfully so. The biggest thing that I think people are pointing to in regards to this is him, is Dan potentially, well, not potentially, it's going to happen. He's going to insert his son Ryan as a figurehead within the club, having a very important role. He's 30 years old. Obviously, he's never been involved in sport. Uh, he's been yeah. mostly, yeah, mostly involved in the entertainment business. Um, as a producer, he's also had some minor roles on various films. Um, I would assume then for you, of all of all the unknown things, there's very few that we concretely do know about Friedkin. One of them is what I just said. It looks like he's going to put his son in a very important role. I would assume that absolutely terrifies you. Now, I could point to a number of clubs who have do, who do this. Uh, Arsenal, Kroenke does this. Uh, Inter, obviously, they do that with Zhang. I would assume, though, again, th- this has to terrify you because I... I if I'm being honest, it, it terrifies me. Um, it, it sort of looks like, and it, it, this is completely unfair, but it sort of looks like the rich dad handing over the, you know, the keys yeah. of the brand new, yeah. uh, you know, Lamborghini over to the son. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I would think if you're going to all this trouble, investing all these hundreds of millions of dollars, you're going to do your due diligence to make sure you're not going to completely screw it up. Um, but yeah, it is a bit alarming that you a have this guy who has no experience in sports whatsoever. He has no connection to soccer or European soccer to begin with or Italian soccer. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, he's not even going to do it. He's going to pass it off to his son. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll reserve judgment, but it's like, it, it's like when they got sold the first time, I was like, oh, it's this old Thomas De Benedetto guy. I'm like, all right, he seems all right. And then all of a sudden Pilata came, Pilata came out of nowhere. So it's very uh, there's some parallels to it, but yeah, it's it's like going from one unknown to an even more unknown. Um, you know, when I was 30, I couldn't run a, a, a top soccer club. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. There, there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. And I again, I've been trying to do as much from my standpoint to find out more. But I mean, even the people at Friedkin, they really don't even know what you know yeah. what long term what this means or what they have in mind so so getting back to to the pitch then Roma they return against uh they, they commence their you know the second half of the campaign against Torino uh-huh. do you think they can sustain this do you think at least in the first four months I don't think there would be any debate that they are amongst the top four best sides in the city but we've seen especially last season um I mean we've seen in the past utter collapses in the winter do you think they can actually sustain this? Um, I do. I, I think uh, what should worry us is the the thin spots on the roster, like behind Jekko and then behind Kolarov, are still pretty thin. Um, so I think a lot of it's going to depend on the health of those two players who just happen to be our oldest players. Um, yeah, I, I think they can. I just There's just something about Fonseca that seems to me like he just knows how to get things done. He can make the best out of a worse – or he can make, yeah, the best out of a bad situation. Um yeah, I, I think so. I mean, they like I said, they've gone through varying periods where they're scoring a lot, conceding a lot, and then not conceding as much. So I, I, I feel like the first four months he's ironing out the wrinkles, and I, I feel like he's got it now, and especially then they're getting Cristante back and things like that. So it seems like he's settled on a consistent-ish starting 11, and it seems like their identity is starting to form. Um, I just think it's going to come down to like the last couple of weeks like it seemingly does every year. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a four-point margin between three or four teams at the very end. But I do, I do think ultimately – they will finish in the top four. Um, I mean, you have to look at what's Adelana going to do because they're still going in Europe. So is Roma. Um, 
Kyler seems like they might drop off a bit. So I I think they're I think we're gonna get there. Yeah, I, I think so too. I don't did you have a chance to read what Pitsadaki, that long interview he just gave a little bit ago? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I just did our, our Paris piece on it, and like, well, well, it was interesting because I I wanted to talk just very briefly with you about the market. It was interesting because Petraki had to say that Kalinic, in their mind, isn't for sale. He doesn't expect yeah. a lot to happen in January. Bruno Pedes, uh, who returned from loan in Brazil, which was an utter disaster for him, they're going to give him another yeah. chance. Is that discouraging to you now? I can't say whether or not the question of the change of ownership has anything to do with that. I would say probably not. But wouldn't you think or wouldn't you feel more encouraged if you heard Pataki say, yeah, you know what? We want to reinforce the team. We want to get better. Um, rather, you hear him saying it's difficult to improve our team and I don't expect much to happen in January. Uh, well, I mean, I guess if nothing else, he's tempering our expectations. I would, <laughs> I would think if the team is going to be sold at some point in the month, that is going to limit what they could do. It just seems like that would be the logic would dictate that. Do we have expectations though for January, given that we're coming off two Januaries with uh, Ramon Monchi, who, I mean, do we even have to go over what he did that one January with Jonathan Silva, only almost selling Jekko to Chelsea? Yeah. I just, I don't expect much from winter anyway. They don't really do much. There was just that, it was a 2016 with Parati and El Shirawi. That was good. Uh, but winter is usually like it's, you know, your Bacillus Torresidas time. They don't really do a ton in winter, so I never expect much. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, the Kalinich thing never made sense to me to begin with. Um, but I mean, you see all these things. Like just, I saw, I forget which Twitter account put it out, but they're talking about Bernadeschi now who might be booted out of UVA because oh, of that. So, no thanks. Got, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not expecting much, but I, I, I appreciate his honesty. But I, got, I feel like he's got to be hamstrung, not knowing you know whose boss is going to be a month from now. So I wouldn't expect much of anything, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I think just the timing. Well, it's interesting because I, 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 I think there's a lot of confusion around it. But a lot of people know by now, Roma they approved a capital increase of 150 million euros, and then you 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 take that with the potential change in ownership, and it's just I think the timing from an incoming standpoint, I think really couldn't have been worse, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it is what it is. So you said you think they can sustain it. Um, Just to end here. I think the curious thing is you have Roma, you have them. They're going to be picking up the the Coppa Italia. They're still in the Europa league. And then you have Lazio who they just won the super cup. Uh, They'll be picking up the Coppa Italia as well, but they just flamed out of Europe um, so it's really difficult for me to realize or understand how Roma will be able to balance all of these competitions with the Coppa right. Italia starting. Does that at all worry you? And also on top of that, the Europa League. Do you want to see them make a you know a very dignified effort at going all out in this competition at the potential risk of dropping out of the top four? Or in your mind, is it top four and that's it? I couldn't care less about the rest. Oof, that's a good question. Um, I don't care about the Copa Tele whatsoever. Uh, it's you know it is what it is. I I I imagine he'll probably pull some players off the bench for those. Um, I don't know if advancing in the Europa League and finishing fourth are mutually exclusive. Uh, you know, I, I just think of a decade of really nothing substantial other than you know that uh, bonsai trophy. <laughs> um, I, I feel like just some, something tangible to hang my hat on to say that we're making progress on the pitch, I think is important. Um, certainly, you know, they're going to be at a disadvantage running in three competitions, but I don't really think Copa Taylor should be, excuse me, the Copa Taylor should be a priority for 
any any team really, quite frankly. It seems like these cup competitions are losing their luster. Really? Um, so you wouldn't want to see so you don't really think that holds much water because I see a ton of people, particularly on social media, they say, I don't care if it's a Coppa Italia, I don't care if it's a Europa League, I just want Roma to win something. So that so that's not how yeah, you feel. Right. For me, the quote unquote just win something, I would rather have the Europa League because at least it's a, a grander competition. You're competing against other players the Copa Taylor for me is just sort of it is what it is uh it would have been cool if we were the first team to win 10 but that's not happening but um I don't know I don't I don't give it much credence it would be cool to win it sure but I would if I had the choice between the two trophies I'd take the Europa League all right well that's fair enough yeah I again I I don't think it's you have to choose between one or the other I I just wonder I I feel as if I mean couldn't we agree though that Lazio certainly have a huge advantage not being in the Europa League now right Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Um, I just think in the Europa League, if we're in it, we might as well try and win it. Um, I don't really say we this much. It's very strange to hear myself saying that, but I think <laughs> if, they're, if they're in it, they should try and win it. I feel like that trophy would mean more. That, to me, would be more tangible evidence that things are improving, that they can win things on a bigger stage. Um, I, I, I hope – I understand what you're saying. I think competing in one competition certainly uh, allows you to focus more. Uh, but I think we do have enough depth to manage both, I hope. Yeah. No, I, I think so, too. I, I just wonder, should they win the Coppa Italia against Parma and they advance? That certainly makes for a crowded calendar and a much more difficult schedule because, obviously, they'll get Juve after that. But, yeah, I, I mean, certainly if you have the choice, I, I would assume all of us would take the Europa League over everything else. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. We won't go four months again without having you on. So, Brian, yeah. uh, com. Thank you so much again. We'll uh, we'll definitely do this again soon. For sure. Looking forward to it. All righty. Ciao, Brian. That is where we are going to leave this episode. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. We will be back after the mat- match against Torino. Hopefully, Roma are able to grab the three points. And then Andy will be back, and he and I will make another episode in reaction to that. And I'm sure he has plenty of thoughts in regards to Palotta nearing the exit door at Trigoria. So as always, thank you so, so much for listening and until next time. Ciao.